Okay, so this morning we are finishing up our study on faith, saving faith, and I ask for your patience as um, I was going to prepare this and, and finish up the, the preparation last night, and then we got roped into this conversation that went until about midnight. So I have some scribbled notes, and we will um, trust that the Lord will feed us through his word. Yes, last week we began discussing saving faith, and we were in primarily uh, 1 Thessalonians, where Paul is writing with thankfulness to the church and um, speaking to them about the way in which the gospel came to them, that they had received the gospel as it was the, the word of God, and it came to them in power and full conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that in this they were showing themselves to be true believers in their, their perseverance through trial. And, um, and we saw at the end, I'll, I'll turn there quickly so we can jog our memory, but um, at, the, uh, at the end of the first chapter of First Thessalonians, if I can turn there quickly, um, we, we saw that there was three things paired together. First Thessalonians 1, we saw how you had returned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. And we had looked at how three of those things could be summarized in this way, turning to God from idols, this is, this is the obedience of faith, and to wait for his son, this is the hope of faith that believes in the promises of God, and to recognize that our deliverance is from the wrath to come, that is, faith trembles at what God has threatened. And so we saw those three things. But if you remember, we left um, the last part of our study to this week, and so um, usually it is our habit to read the, um, read the confession at the end of our study, but I'm going to go there first today just to remind us of kind of where we are at in terms of the topic. Um, so on, in chapter 14 of Saving Faith, if you remember at the end we, we were speaking um, in paragraph 2, it says that Saving Faith, um, kind of jumping in the middle of the sentence here, it's, uh, it yields obedience to the commands, trembling at the threatenings, and embracing of the promises of God and for the life that is to come. But then it says, the principal acts of saving faith have immediate relation to Christ, that is, accepting, receiving, and resting upon him alone for justification, sanctification, and eternal life by virtue of the covenant of grace. And so this topic of saving faith and its object, Jesus Christ, as I was thinking, what would be the primary place to go to in the scriptures to talk about receiving of faith as a, a resting and trusting in God, um, it seemed to me that perhaps one of the clearest places to go would be to Matthew chapter 11. For those of us who were here when we did the study through um, Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, you'll remember he was expounding this, come to me all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I wanted to take us back there to look at this concept of rest. So let's read from Matthew chapter 11. This is going to be our central text this morning. Matthew chapter 11 and beginning in verse 25. Well, we're going to begin in verse 20 so we can remember the context here. 
The context is unrepentance in light of, um, of great light that God had given through his signs. He says in verse 20, Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Cherizen! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. We, we understand what Christ is saying here in this, that he had done many miraculous things, many wonderful signs in the presence of these, um, of these cities, of these people, and yet their refusal to believe in what God was saying is more condemnation to them for the light that is there. And then this is at the time, that's what verse 25 starts with. He says, at that time, Jesus declared this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And though this text is familiar to us, we might ask, well, why are we going here when we're talking about faith? I don't see the word faith particularly showing up in this passage. But I would ask you, what is Christ calling these people to when he says, come to me? When he says, take my yoke upon you? When he says, learn from me? What is he calling them to? Well, let's think about this for a moment. Let's observe that in verse 26 through 27, when he says, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him, this revealing that he's talking about is a revealing which first and foremost comes out of the, um, the arrangement between Father and Son in the Trinity. That is, because of the community that is there, Christ then chooses to reveal himself to some people. And to these people, he calls them, what, little children. He reveals this to little children. And so I would, I would suggest to you that when Jesus is calling little children and saying, to little children, I am revealing the knowledge of God the Father. And when he is saying, to these little children, I'm revealing what Jesus is like and what God is like, what the calling is like. What, it, what does it mean to be yoked to Christ? And he says that burden is easy and light. He's talking about nothing other than saving faith. That is, those who are laden and heavy laden with their sin come and find rest in Christ. So as we think about this, I first want to camp out on this idea of revelation. This seems to be key in this text. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And we already read later on that it is whoever the Son chooses to reveal the Father to. And so first, faith, saving faith, is this idea that God has revealed to some 
the knowledge of God, that is, the object of their saving faith is God himself. And particularly, it is Christ, because it is through Christ that we know the Father. You can have no true knowledge of God, no saving knowledge of God, if it is not through the Son. Second, what are the, what is it, who is he revealing this to? What kind of people are they like? And here, he calls them little children. That is, God, in his sovereign and gracious will, did not choose the wise and understanding of this world. He does not look out and see, now there's a smart person, now there's a wise person, that's the person I'm going to reveal myself to. No, he says, he has revealed them to those who are little children. What does a little child bring to the equation of anything? We say that a little child cannot bring anything. A little child can no more bring um, his own dinner than he can bring, uh, bring himself to church on Sunday. A little child is very much dependent upon the things which the Father gives. And so it is with us in faith. We are dependent wholly on what God graciously gives and grants to us. We do not bring anything to the equation of faith. And yet, look at what is also commanded. What is commanded? Well, we have these three, uh, these three words. First, it's come, come to me. Next, it's take, take my yoke upon you. It's learn from me. It's come, take, learn, and what? And you will find. Come, take, learn, and find are three of the actions that describe these little children. That is, God has graciously chosen to give, and the child has what? Received that gift. When God calls, come, the child then comes and finds rest. What is learning other than what God has revealed? That is, we cannot come and decipher God. God is not something that we can figure out or someone who we can figure out. Rather, the knowledge of God is revealed to us truly through his Son. And so while there is action, there truly is involved a a coming to Christ, a taking of what he has given, there is the the receiving of, of rest, finding this rest. Nevertheless, we understand what is being said here. Who would read this passage and say, ah, these little children, truly these little children are hard workers for Christ. Surely they have, they have discovered the secret and they are noble um, and have, have somehow uh, elicited God's favor because of their great works that they have done. No, we would say, These are little children to whom God graciously set his affection upon and gave to them saving faith. And so when we talk about saving faith and the object of saving faith as being Christ and the essence of it being a receiving and resting in Jesus Christ, um, we can can think of this, I think it was perhaps Calvin has called it a passive obedience, but the idea being that it's it's not a obedience which then earns for us anything. But in faith, God does command us to believe. And the type of action that is called of us is an action which is to trust God wholly and completely for all that Christ has done, to be as little children toward it, to him, to rest our hope fully on what God has promised. We can read this text and say, God, Christ, Jesus, you have promised an easy and light yoke. You have promised rest for my soul Therefore, I trust you. I trust what you have said in your word. I, I am burdened greatly with my sin, and I, I feel 
as though I need to, I need to um, elicit your favor or re-earn your favor because my conscience troubles me. But what does Christ call us to? He says, confess your sins, and I am faithful and just to forgive your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So his yoke here is described as light. If we think of the idea of a yoke, we are so we are um, hitched, as it were, to our master like a like a beast is hitched to a wagon. And this yoke that Christ has placed on us, we ought not to think of as a yoke which is a tiresome or burdensome yoke, though it is a light yoke. So people talk about saving faith as being that which. Um, all of the commerce between Christ and us is done through faith. All of the connection, the, to be united to Christ, the way in which God brings all spiritual good to us is through faith. This is the work that he works in us and we respond to in order that we might have what is, what is Christ's and might be imparted to us. But then we must ask, I think, also sort of, transitioning or shifting gears here. What is the difference between saving faith and merely faith that is an outward profession? A faith that seems to say Christ is mine and for a time does seem to evidence some fruit and yet it seems as though it, it fails in the end. People walk away from Christ and they spurn what they know. They regard Christ as worthless, and they walk away. Is there a difference between us and them? Well, no. Not in the sense of our natural state. We are all sinners. But is there a difference? Is there something to saving faith, which is in its, no matter how large or how small that faith is, saving faith is peculiarly true. And I think this is what we want to look at um, in our next section. So, um, we're, we're moving along in the next paragraph or the next topic of saving faith in the confession is to talk about this difference. Um, and so well, when we transition away from Matthew, I think the next passage that would be helpful to think about then would be the book of Hebrews, and particularly chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is dealing with those who have left the faith and yet is talking to those who are persevering in faith. Having understood that faith is this receiving and resting on the promises that Christ gives, resting in Christ himself for rest and for our souls, we also understand that faith is a persevering faith. That is, saving faith is not passive in the sense of it has no um, ongoing presence or reality in the life of a person. No, the, the faith that is saving is a, is a faith that perseveres by God's strength and power. Read what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10. Um, chapter 10 and verse 32, he then goes to apply his, his teaching of be, this warning, the strong warning that had come before. He says, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, think of that word enlightened we just talked about revealed, right? The knowledge of God was revealed. After you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, 
since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done all the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But what? But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author here wants to make a distinction between those who, in the outward appearance, do shrink back from their faith and spurn the blood of Christ and those who believe and rest in the promise of God to the saving of their souls. So the first thing we notice then is that saving faith is a faith that will ultimately persevere through much struggle and much affliction. This is not, as it were, something that um, is given only to those with great strength and faith. I want to be careful not to say that. Saving faith is not, in its essence, something that only belongs to the strong. Saving faith belongs to the little children. And yet, the little children are strong in who? In Christ. And through His Spirit, they persevere through much affliction and much sorrow. The essence of this faith is, is of the essence that does not die out. It does not wither. And how, what is the means by which this happens? Well, well, we'll cover this in more detail, I think, in, at some future session, hopefully. But particularly here, we notice that when they were bearing this affliction, they were bearing it sometimes... It was affliction that was given to them, but sometimes it was affliction borne by other people within the community, and they took it upon themselves as if they were bearing it, remember? Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. That is, you yourself were not treated particularly with this affliction, but you were partnered with those who were treated this way, and so you were nonetheless enduring the same affliction. So this, uh, this faith is a type of faith that is by God, sovereignly given, it is by God given that they might persevere, and it is though afflicted, they are partnered with those who, of like faith, are enduring affliction and enduring persecution. So that is, there ought to be great um, assurance given in the perseverance together in the faith with one another. Compare this, just for a a cross-reference, um, we're just going to read one one verse in I'm sorry in Colossians two. In Colossians two, I think we'll see this same idea of faith in connection with the um, the communion of saints here. Colossians two and verse two. Well, we'll start in verse one, so it's not too uh, difficult to understand. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the assurance to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures and wisdom and knowledge what is he saying that is that their hearts may be knit together encouraged that they may reach full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ do you see the close coupling there between Together, being hearts being knit together in love and reaching assurance of this faith with one another. It's coupled in such a way that God has given community to those 
who he is saving ordinarily. And so what we're, what we're focusing on then is that the first difference between saving faith and faith that is merely external is a faith that perseveres by God and through the means that God has supplied. It continues on. And though it may be afflicted by many trials, may be discouraged, and may even for a time look as if there is no faith at all, yet it does win. There is the victory. Think of 1 John 5. Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That is, it's not, it's not as though there's a, a magical incantation that if I have recited the very uh, syllables, Jesus Christ is Lord, that therefore all else is fixed. And yet, saving faith is something so simple that it can be boiled down to the very fundamental truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Who is it that has overcome just a little bit? Who is it that has overcome one trial? Who is it that has overcome a difficult time? No. Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? That is, so whether we are actually little children or little children in the faith or we've been in the faith for many, many years, the type of faith that God uses to save is a faith that is as of a little child. Jesus, you are the Son of God. If you're the Son of God, I believe in your promises. If I believe in your promises, I trust that what you have said is true. What you threaten, I tremble at. What you command, I want to obey. And what you promise, I hope in. This says eternal life. And so I'm just going to read how it's summarized here. I, I apologize if this study was somewhat um, difficult to follow. I'm, but we'll read the last paragraph here in Saving Faith, and we have plenty of time to discuss then. So be thinking of questions. This faith, although it is different in degrees and may be weak or strong, yet it is in the least degree, it is in the least degree of it different in the kind or nature of it, as it is in all other saving graces from the faith and common grace of temporary believers. That it, that's all just saying. Whether you're weak or strong, in its very essence, it's different from the kind of faith that does not persevere. And, and therefore, though it may be some, many times assailed and weakened, yet it gets the victory, growing up in many to the attainment of a full assurance through Christ, who is both the author and finisher of our faith. And I, as I'm reading that, I remember what my, my earlier point was, so I will we'll circle up just to that shortly, and that is, Though saving faith may be in its essence and its seed form a mere conviction, saving faith does not rest on doubt. It never rests on, I don't, I don't know if Christ is a Savior. Saving faith presses on to attain full assurance. That is, assurance is something that is truly offered in God's Word. Assurance that Jesus Christ is Lord, that His blood has covered your sin, that you may have an interest in Christ through faith. These are absolute objective promises of God that if you will come to him, he will give rest to your soul. And so the idea here is not to doubt because I'm doubting, but when I doubt, what do I do? I look to press on into Christ that I might find a fuller assurance in him. Christ truly offers a faith 
and gives to us a faith through his spirit, which is not merely a faith of doubt or of hope or of chance, I should say, to use that type of hope. This type of faith is one that can truly rest fully, put my weight in it to know there is nothing here that I cannot rely on. There is nothing in Christ which is not so strong that he will not bear with my weakness. Therefore, I press into it that I may be more assured of that which Christ has done for me. Questions or thoughts, then, about wrapping up saving faith? Sometimes I think we use the term faith all the time, and it can be a little bit difficult to um, put our finger on what actually is it. What are we talking about when we say faith? And so I I hope maybe at least uh, whet your appetite to think about it. There's uh, the topic of faith that seems to be so broad and ubiquitous in the New Testament that you can't go anywhere without seeing it used and applied in some way. So um, in many ways, these doctrines are summaries of the whole, of the whole Bible. Um, any, any thoughts, though, or questions or exceptions? Okay. If not, then, I'm just going to close with this exhortation, which is a good reminder. um, In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, it summarizes the type of faith that has been talking, that is, uh, so in the middle of this uh, hall of fame of faith, there's a um, sort of a capstone summary of what this faith entails. It says in verse 13 of Hebrews, chapter 11, all these, these all die, I'm sorry, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them, that's the awareness, God had given them a sight of the true promises, and what? Greeted them from afar. Gave them uh, salutations. They were welcomed. They were embraced. They were seen as beautiful. They greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they themselves were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who seek thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So at the the very heart of this faith is is the picture, the paradigmatic picture of Abraham being called away from one land and called to another land, but that land not even being given to him, particularly he camped in it as, in, as with a tent. And yet, by faith in that promise which God had given, he rested that God was faithful to do what he had committed to him. And so, likewise, brothers, you and I have been called out of a land of sin. We have been called out of Egypt. We have been called to a Godward life. And what is this Godward life? Is it sinlessness? No, Abraham was sinner, even after the promise. But it is a trust in God's hope, God's commitment that he is preparing for us a place, that there is a land that God has given to us by sure promise. And so we can trust him in this promise. Let's, uh, let's pray. Gracious Lord, I... Uh, First off, I I pray that you would forgive me if I have said what was not helpful and and misconstrued your word. I pray that your word would stand far above and beyond anything I have said and that it would be poured out into the hearts of all of us here today as 
all coming to receive what you have said. We ask that you would build our faith as we all persevere through a difficult season. Lord, we want to press on into full assurance. We want to have a a conviction. We want to be anchored on Christ. And many times the storms of doubt do assail us. And yet, Lord, we know it is not the size or, or fruitfulness of our faith that makes us pleasing to you. But it was by your gracious will that you chose to reveal these things to little children. And so as little children, we ask to you as our Father, we ask that you would give our souls rest as you have promised. A rest that truly does rely fully and wholly on what you have said. May we not be in turmoil in our souls, but merely oppressed from outside. That truly within us, there is a peace that passes, surpasses our understanding. Guard us, I pray, in this faith. In your name, amen.